philosophers. Philosophers. And we're back. We are back. Uh, for our 50th episode, no less. Indeed. In a year. No. Almost. We're one day late. No. We are. No. It's your fault, too. No. Hush now. <laughs> I'll give it a day. I, I, I'll, I'll give it a day. Because we ended... Uh, whatever. Anyway, so today, for our 50th episode, David, what are we talking about? We're going to talk about asking forgiveness versus asking permission. Hmm. That's a good excuse I hear a lot of times when people are doing things they disregard others for. <laughs> right. So, okay. How do you want to, how do you want to approach this subject? Well, I think there's, there's two categories here. One being, uh, more philosophically interesting than the other. Okay. Um, the less interesting I think is the context in which it is usually used. Um, whether, you know, it's like a, a good strategy to blatantly do something you agreed not to do, uh, because it would be easier than asking permission to, um, to, to do that. Or, you know, or I, I it comes up in it, it comes up in like a like a pseudo pragmatic context, like we need to do this thing. It's gonna take too it's gonna take too long to do it the right way. There's too much red tape, whatever. Let's just do it, and if we get in trouble, uh, we'll apologize. See, I actually don't think that's the normal case. Really, okay, there, at least not the way I understand it. The way I understand it is. It's something that you're genuinely unsure about, but you are aware that there's the possibility of an authority figure or someone who could have the right to tell you not to do it, tell you not to do it. And you might think that they're wrong, but you know that if you ask and then do it anyway, despite them explicitly telling you not to, it's more wrong... Even if it works out, it's wrong. But if you do the thing and gamble that it works, the other person is less likely to take drastic action against you because it works. Like, it's one of those things. I guess, I guess that's sort of what I meant when I said that it was a strategy. It is a strategy in which you essentially are going to gamble. You're going to gamble. If it, if it fails, you're still in trouble and you would have been in trouble to begin with. Yeah. And if it works, well, they didn't tell you explicitly not to. And it worked out, so no harm, no foul. Right. And even if it doesn't work and you didn't ask to, the first offense typically jumped to is you should have asked first. And, and that's then you can a just much, say, oops. Yeah, and that's a much more comfortable place to defend yourself than on the merits of what you actually did. So you kind of are pre-baiting the other person to jumping on your case for not asking instead of for what you did wrong. Because most people, well... It's proper, seen as more proper to not attribute malice, even though you are technically being malicious by doing this, I would suppose. Um, they'll attribute ignorance instead and give you the benefit of the doubt. So you're going to wager the benefit of their essential faith in you or their trust in you, you know, giving you the benefit of the doubt as well. And so 
Well, I think there's an interesting talk to be had there. I, I don't think it's 100%, you know, it's, I think it's fairly obvious that this is just uh, ends justifying the means kind of disguising itself in pleasantries of conversation. Right. I mean, let's be real here. <laughs> so if you employ this strategy, you are essentially employing and ends justifying means because it all hinges on your ability and outcome. Right. But, so that's that's yeah. why I think that it's not very philosophically interesting. No. I will say there is a little bit of philosophical interest here, but I do think it's where we're going next. And that is, this is almost a philosophical cop-out because you're in a system of authority. And you're trying, you're wagering your individual ability against a system. So what, what do you think, what's the other case? I, th- I think the other case um, is, well, I guess the other case is, more more like the uh the thing that i mentioned earlier about something explicitly being against rules basically is it uh depending on the context ethical or moral to break rules uh is it, is it ethical or moral to break rules that go against your principles hmm Now that's a good question. So, and and we've brought this up in some contexts before. Uh, I think you know, perhaps the most extreme case of this is rebellion against the government. You know, sure, it's very obviously against the rules to rebel to against overthrow the government. The government. <laughs> um, but we can bring this down into more innocuous cases. Um. Suppose you work or go to school somewhere with a strict dress code and you you could you could uh, petition to have the dress code changed, i.e. ask permission. Right. Um, or you could come up with some uh, organized protest by which people intentionally break dress code. Hmm. Either with the goal of bringing about change or just rebelling against a system you think is stupid. Hmm. <laughs> I don't like this analogy <laughs> because I. It's uh, a real scenario, though. It's a real scenario. Well, let's tackle this scenario then. So, what is your principle that's being violated by a rule being instituted against you, or that has already been instituted that would contradict your principles around a dress code? Like, what's the principle being? contradicted that's a good question because that, um, that i think to me there's the first so step is it validating. Might, it might depend on what the specific dress code is let's say um that the dress code is different between genders and so it may be against your principles uh because this is a form of discrimination okay that's acceptable so you hold as a core belief or as a principle that genders be treated equally. Yes. So regardless of male or female, the same standard should be applied to both. Yes. Okay. So that's the first, that's to me is the first thing that is to be done is clarify your principle, speak clearly about it and make sure you, it it actually is a principle that has some kind of background and, and then you would need to validate whether the, I think the argument just would have come back to, is that a belief that's valid? 
you know, or is there anything wrong with that belief? And I'm, I don't like saying it like that because it's like, oh, I pointed out one flaw. You should abandon that belief and we're not changing because of it. Um, so now that we've done that, so, you know, let's get that out of the way. So assume for sake of argument that there is a principle being violated here. Sure. Well, I was going to provide one that is actually more of a right-based thing that isn't. It's more popular, but we'll stick with this analogy for now and then change to the other one okay. later as we work through it. Um, the next thing I would think you would want to do is look at the circumstance by which you came into this arrangement. Um, because you, you could always say, like if it's a workplace, it's like, well, you don't have to work here. And the authority at B does have the ability to lay out rules. And if they made these rules available to you before employment, then you have it's kind of your fault for entering into a workplace that you would have a problem with post hoc. So for the sake of argument, we could just say that maybe let's just say it's a government instituted rule after the fact, like say you work at a government institution and it's made into law that all government institutions have to uh, treat the sexes differently. And there's an, there's separate dress codes instituted for each. Or even, I, I think we can still stay with the, I guess it would be a, a stricter case of even in a private arrangement. What if the company you work for changes its policies, uh, which you did not initially agree to in your employment contract? Well, in that case, I would say that... We're still, we're still having, it's a rule being imposed on you that you did not prior agree to prior. Yep. That's true, but... And let's just say for the sake of argument that they had a contract that did not include the phrase, these rules are subject to change at any time at the discretion of the employer, because that's typically how that's gotten around is, well, that, that raises a completely different question of, is it ethical to submit terms that can change at any time? Yes. As long as you are within the scope of your authority to do so. In my opinion, what defines the scope of this authority? Would it not be the terms of the agreement? No, the terms of the agreement are I can do whatever I want because it's my business. Yes, and if for you to retain your employment, you must keep within the rules, which is why I've always thought that those kinds of terms are ridiculous in contracts and employment contracts because an employer could essentially just create a rule that you, by your very nature, violate is a justification to end your employment, which, again, I think an employer should have the ability to terminate employment at any time they wish, personally, and then let reputation handle it, you know, let the social marketplace deal with it, but still, oof, social marketplace, gotta watch that, make sure that doesn't get appropriated, <laughs> um, but, you know, let the market handle it after that, but, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with me having a term in a contract that says I can change it. it. I don't think there's anything wrong with that when it comes to certain things like this. As long as I, and I don't even think I have to give you notice. I do think it's proper to, you know, and maybe ethical to be honest. Doesn't a contract that essentially means I can do whatever I want. Isn't that contract equivalent to the type of contract that you objected to, uh, in terms of, uh, willful, like turning yourself over to slavery? Yeah, that's why anyone who agrees to that kind of contract is an idiot, in my opinion. If there if there is an opportunity not to, 
And then there is a difference as well because you always retain the right to sever that employment relationship. Um, even because just because they have the ability to create a rule doesn't necessarily mean that they have the scope of authority to enforce it. So, for example, if your employer decided to make a rule that you must wear boxers instead of briefs even at home, say you're a boxer company and you want your employees to rep the brand even sure. when they're at home <laughs> for some reason, um, okay, fine, but you can't you can't enforce that on me because you have no authority over me when I'm not on your premises, even though I'm your employee. But the question at hand here is, is it unethical or immoral to wear your briefs at home? In this scenario, no, there's no, there's no ethical statement about it. It's your choice. But you agreed not to. You can agree to the terms of, but that's what I said. Go back to the original caveat. As long as it's within the scope of authority of the employer, what you do at home is in no way, shape, or form in the scope of their authority. Says who? Says me, the individual, and says rights like i mean to, to not get too into the whole thing but the right to self-determination except when agreed otherwise but you can't ever give up that right necessarily you can just agree and comply when you want to and then choose not to when you don't want to now the well that's the whole question that we're we're going for here well, i mean Right, but I think that what we're getting at, though, is the consequences that will come about and who, whether it, the consequences of such are ethical or unethical. Like, for example, if your employer fired you for wearing briefs at home, is that unethical? Because it's not really ethical or unethical for you to do it. It's it's neither. It's just something that you're doing it's right now. It's not then. ethical or unethical for you to go back on an agreement. Not in That's that case, I'm... because it's an, it's an invalid agreement to make in the first place, I think. Because you're agreeing, Why? because you're agreeing to something outside of the scope of another individual's authority to be able to dictate. It's it's it, it's it holds up within the fr mm, okay. my frame of let me, the let me, slavery. Let agreement. me propose an alternate scenario. Um, suppose you lend me some money on the terms that I will pay it back fully in exactly seven days. Okay. Okay. Seventh day comes and goes, and I have not returned your money. Okay. You are not within your authority to extract that money from me. No. So, therefore, it is perfectly ethical for me to have not paid you back. Sure. It's my fault for doing business with you in the first place. I took the risk. It's on me. It's my choice to lend you the money. You didn't make me do it. Now... Unethically, okay, I could see it being maybe unethical, but not necessarily. Well, that's the question that we were asking, though, is is it unethical? Uh, to be dishonest, yes, in that case. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting, I'm conflating the ethics of the thing with the practical implications. Right. So Yeah, my, I, I my agree mistake. that the employer can do nothing about it, about you wearing your briefs at home. Okay. Sorry, I, I, I but know. But the, the question is... Is it ethical to go back on an agreement that you made? No, it's unethical to do that. Right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I, I know you used the word ethics the whole time, but I heard it and thought, but how would that practically work out though? And then I'm jumping straight into the practical instance. So, in purely ethical terms, it is unethical to go back on an agreement that you made with someone else. Okay. Most of the time. <clears throat> So, 
Let's see. So where does that leave us? Um, so let's take let's go back to the example. Uh-huh. So I haven't made this agreement yet for the new dress code, right? Right. And I think in the you know hypothetical we've constructed, there isn't a clause that allows them to just change it whenever because that makes it cleaner and easier to deal with. Because I think we could actually just have a discussion about entirely about clauses like I can essentially do whatever I want. That's a whole other topic. Right. So let's just say for the sake of this argument that it, what that statement is nowhere in the contract. So I've not agreed to allow you to change the terms of the agreement at any time for any reason. So they are proposing this as a new rule. And they say that it will go into effect and you will have to re-sign your employment contract and essentially everyone gets soft fired and soft rehired right back where they were so that they can institute the new policy. Like that's just kind of how they're going to handle it, which is I think an appropriate way to handle that kind of situation is you will let everyone know. I think the best way an employer could do that is say, okay, two months, we're going to implement this new policy. If you have a problem with it and you can't deal with it, there's two months for you to seek new employment or not or whatever. But at that two month mark, you will need to sign this piece of paper or you will cease your employment. That's how I would handle it if I were an employer. Is there anything wrong with that in the hypothetical or does that? No. Okay. So at the two month mark, the employer comes around with the, sh- the sheet of paper saying you will follow this and you sign it uh-huh. because you want to keep your job, even though you think this rule is crap. So you do. And then the next day, you're going to start pushing the boundaries of the limitations. Like maybe you're looking for loopholes or you're looking to see how well enforced this rule is going to be. Now, I think at that moment, that is the doing, that is taking the asking forgiveness route if we want to tie it back to the title. Right. The You know, so you, are this, the question now, is that unethical for you yes. to start going down the road? I think it is at that point because you are essentially violating the terms of something you clearly agree to. And you're hoping that the other person, you know, is just going to let you get away with it, you know, or let it be resolved through lack of enforcement. Okay. Let's take this to a context uh, with a little bit less ambiguity. Okay. Um, in a mandatory setting, a truly mandatory, well, okay, I guess we can debate the definition of truly mandatory. Show me one instance that is truly mandatory. <laughs> I dare okay. you. For all intents and purposes, mandatory scenario. Um, and this is something that really does happen. Okay. okay. Uh, in public schools. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're, I'm going to remove variables like private schools and homeschooling. We're going to say that this is mandatory public education. Ignoring all the ethical problems with that. Um. And the school imposes a dress code on the students that they essentially are forced to agree to. Now what? Well, in that case, this is one of those funky scenarios in which a wrong has already been committed. Yes. So it's hard not to fall back to that and say, well, we should have never gotten here in the first place, but as in reality... But in reality, you we don't, find ourselves in situations that aren't exactly right, but here we are, and we got to do something. we got to do something about it. And so, in this case, 
I think that you should still broach the subject. And by that, I mean you should ask permission. And your permission is enough, like as of a protest. And that shows that you are entering that protest in good faith. Now, beyond that... Okay, you suppose, you, suppose you ask permission, and in fact, you uh, and uh, let's say that... Um, one you, you get a whole one third of the students to sign your petition. Okay. And you present it to the administration and they say no. Okay. In that case, I think you've reached the point where discourse will no longer at this time will not yield a result in which you personally feel is morally acceptable. And it's at that point that you need to take physical action. And that means acts of defiance in that case if you're really unwilling to put up with it. And I know that seems kind of like a cop out, but that's, I think, the more re- real situation. Like, for example, people say things all the time about how taxes are wrong, but you, they still pay them, you know? <laughs> um, so how much do you really, want, is it worth the fight? In this case, if you determine that it's worth the fight, do it anyway, and do it knowing that it might cost you punishment not saying that you deserve it but we're in the practical realm and so more injustices may be brought down upon you but if i still think it's i still think it's a worthy cause you know um so in this case it is i think by taking the route of asking permission first like entering into good faith negotiations on your part and then having to resort, you've done all that you can. And at this point, you're still ethically in the right to defy it because you do not get to choose and your rights are being infringed on at that point. And so I think it would honestly be unethical for you to... It would be... Because here's the thing. Is, is this an ethical binary where is it unethical if you hold these principles and then you act against them? Well, okay... You might not necessarily have to act against your principles. Let's say, for instance, uh, we'll, we'll add some specifics. Let's say that the dress code is that boys have to wear full-length pants year-round. Okay. Okay. Um, and they, then the the unfair counterpart to that is uh, girls can wear whatever they want. Let's just make it easy. We don't need to. It is specifics don't matter in that case. Um, okay. So then it's the it's the boys protesting. They want to be able to wear shorts in the summer or whatever. Um. But let's say you personally don't care and you like to wear long pants year round. Okay. So you don't necessarily have to violate your principle because you were going to comply with that rule anyway. Okay. Yeah, no, I think that's okay. Um, that's a good point. And as long as you don't try to enforce the rule, because I think that's another thing entirely is when you're being directed to specifically do something that you would not have done otherwise. Um, it's still wrong for it to be mandated like that. But yeah, I think if you weren't going to do it anyway, then I mean, you would actually be acting out of character to deliberately go against the system, I think. Well, right. But as a matter of principle, you might say, well, this discrimination is wrong and I'm going to protest and wear shorts anyway for this occasion as part of the demonstration. And sure, that's fine. Because you're still... Now you... 
you wouldn't have done it before, but you're definitely going to do it now just because it's prohibited. Just because it's prohibited. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. But it, why? Why? Because you're essentially resisting authority at that point. Like, you are not submitting to wrongful authority. And you, if if that authority had not, like, if you removed the authority and you decided to just wear shorts that day anyway, like, regardless of your choice, if there were no authority in place, you would be in the right because it's morally and ethically neutral to just do whatever you want in that case because that doesn't affect anybody else, arguably. And so by acting out against authority in that case, it's still morally neutral at that point. Even if you're doing it to spite authority, I still don't think it's wrong or necessarily right. It's just you exercising your freedom. I actually don't think it becomes righteous because someone told you not to. And then you do it anyway. Like, I don't really know. Because it's, it's almost like two acts. It's like you you have the act of defiance. And that is it. That is regardless of what that entails. It's the intention behind it is being defiant. And in that case, you know, I guess we'd have to ask the question, is acting in direct defiance moral or ethical? Because the wearing of the shorts is morally neutral and ethically neutral. Right, merely so. doing that is no big deal. Yeah. Right, and so the act of defiance in this case, I think, has everything to do with the legitimacy of the authority being applied. And so in this case, the legitimacy of this authority is invalid, and so it is good that you defy it. And the only authority in which I think you cannot defy ethically is authority imposed on you by yourself, which that kind of brings back to the terms of contracts and agreements. Going back on your word, you are essentially defying yourself at a different time. But that's a whole other thing, maybe. Hmm. But maybe that's not the act of defiance that's necessarily wrong. It's that it's a different thing that is wrong. And defiance just be, just so happens to be what it is that's triggering the situation. Um, but note, but, you know, that also assumes you're not a moral. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Where you can say, doing something good does not outweigh doing something bad. You know what I mean? It's not a zero-sum game. You can't calculate all the good and the bad and then get a net score, and then that's where you're at. Right, if you do anything bad, then you're in the wrong. Exactly. And so even if, say, being defiant against authority is always good, okay, fine. You did a good thing by being defiant, but you're also still wrong for lying, essentially, or going against what you had agreed to do. So they don't cancel each other out you're you're doing something wrong and i think the other key difference here is you're doing something wrong that you had agreed to willingly with another participant whereas the act of defiance in this case is i never made this agreement with you you are trying to affect me without my consent you know i think that's kind of what it comes back to um i have a real real life example that's well several that have been somewhat recent you know you have the 
baker baking or writing on the cake for the gay couple, the religious baker who his morals and principles prevent him from being in support of homosexuality. He holds those beliefs. That's his beliefs. Um, Then there is the system in place that says, essentially, you cannot discriminate. But there's also a system in place that prevents compelling speech, except when it doesn't. But in this case, it would prohibit, you know, the compelling of his speech, right? Mm, I don't know if that's necessarily speech. Okay, writing a message in this case is how this is how it's been defined i I think i think that there is a i think there's a difference between writing words onto a medium and expressing an opinion i mean because you can you can pay me to write something that i don't believe that's true that doesn't mean that i'm exercising my free speech by writing it that's true and i think honestly that whole point is a boondoggle anyway that that's that's all a nothing burger the real problem I have is them being able to force your service. And so you have to accept them as a customer. And then by your own rules, do what they ask you to do. Because if you have an agreement with your customers that you deliver the best service possible. And that's after you know a, a condition saying that we reserve the right to refuse service. You know... So in that case, you know, I think this brings some moral gray area to the argument because and let, me, let me explain why. Okay. Does this individual have the right to refuse service to someone in a discriminatory way? Sure. Yeah. But it's harder to, it, it, now we're getting into an area in which I don't agree with this person's reasons for doing what they're doing. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with homosexuality. I don't, but he does. But, but being stupid is not necessarily wrong. Being stupid is not wrong, but having different moral principles from me is not necessarily wrong either. Right. And that's the root of the, the point. The And then, but there is something that we're all sharing here, and that is the question of, can I force someone else to do something? You know, at its root, that's what it is. is can I make you do it? at essentially the death penalty because i don't know if we've discussed this but in most states there is only one real penalty to non-compliance right death does not necessarily mean execution either no but you know it's the whole chain of events it's well i'm not going to comply with your rules and they say well if you don't i'm going to fine you i'm not paying i'm not paying the fine okay well we're going to lock you in a cage i'm not going to the cage okay well we're going to kill you exactly like that's it's at the end of the day, that's the only real punishment someone can force upon you. And even if they choose to lock you up, you know, there's the famous, I'll go on a hunger strike. I'm going to refuse to eat the food that you give me because I don't want to be here. Okay, fine. Yeah. And then it's like... And then you died. And you died. So they basically killed you by locking you in a cage. Essentially, yeah. yeah. Um, and so in this case, is it ethically a good thing that he is defying the rule if say the rule of law was you have to cater to these people you have to serve them you have to accept them as clients and then do what they ask you to do within the scope of what your business is set out to do is that is him defying that ethically 
are morally good. In this case. I think we're... I don't, I don't know that I would say that it's good. I think it's neutral. Mm. But why? He's resisting authority that's illegitimate, right? He didn't sign no social contract. He didn't swear no I don't oaths. think that... So, I, I don't think that exercising one's rights is necessarily morally good or ethically good. That's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. He's acting in defiance of authority. He's. It's not that he's exercising his right. He is, but that's not what we're talking about. His exercising of his rights is you wearing the shorts. That's not what we're talking about. Sure. And it's the context that's important. It's so, the context. I, I don't in which know he's that it's it. necessarily morally good merely to defy authority either. Because oh, okay. Uh, for uh, I think I think that there are some rules imposed by uh, unjust authorities that are still good rules. Okay. And so I I don't think that it's a good thing to defy the authority on those rules in particular. Okay. So what about this particular context? I think I think I still say it's neutral because I ascribe neutrality to the act of defiance in and of itself. Right. But how is that so would you still would you agree that you wearing the shorts is still morally and ethically neutral even in defiance of a of a rule? Yes. Okay. So acts of defiance are ethically neutral. Yes. Just just the just the fact that you're being defiant. Maybe the act itself can be moral or ethically positive or negative. Right. Like for example, I'm going to go on a mass murdering rampage because this disagrees with my principles. Like, okay, well that's still wrong, you know. The, the defiance against the authority part of that is neutral, but the murdering rampage part of that is bad. Exactly. And so your assertion essentially is that Anything, be it being an act of defiance, doesn't add or subtract any kind of moral positive or negative to it. Or well, we don't add or subtract. I, I think, what I'm saying. I, I, yeah, I think that there there is like an emotional thing about that, but I don't I don't think that it has anything to do with morality. Sure. No, I understand, and that's why I wanted to bring this because I, I, I think under... people acting in defiance to an authority that other people see as unjust and oppressive is um, good for rallying support. I think I think it's strategic. More than it is a moral question. So, winding this back, hmm. So, how does this fall in with the original scenario of asking permission versus asking forgiveness? Now that we're here, so is asking forgiveness versus asking permission both nor more or ethically neutral? And if not, how? Then. I th- I think well I think we have come to a conclusion that it depends on the context. If you agreed, for all intents and purposes, to ask permission. And don't. Then now you're being dishonest. Okay. So asking forgiveness versus uh, asking permission versus asking forgiveness. In and of itself. Like, just the act of, like, if you don't know, 
right? Like, say we don't know if there was a predetermined agreement. Right. So, so now, I guess now, are we asking the question, if you have a feeling that doing a thing will upset somebody, is it wrong to follow through without asking them first? <laughs> well, this is where it depends. I think on it always depends. It does because we've had instances in the past where, okay, my opinion, I don't care about your feelings. Your feelings aren't relevant and they shouldn't determine my choices in any way. And sure. I, sh- and, but, but we've, we have entertained the thought of hurt feelings being emotional harm. Yes. And so I am literally causing you harm by, yeah, not not just emotional harm, but well, yes, emotional knowing, harm, but but knowing that emotional harm is physical harm at some level, right? That needs to be its own topic altogether, <laughs> I think, because woof. But that is actually empirical, I think, to some degree. It is. But then the question becomes: Is how much harm can you inflict on somebody before it's wrong? Yep, and that's uh that's another discussion as well because. Mm, that that has its own implications everywhere um so when it comes back to the core topic of asking permission versus asking forgiveness they're morally neutral because if you don't know whether you agreed to it or not and we don't know if you know being omniscient we don't know well hang on let me we add another layer to this okay let's just throw another layer on there sure we got time how many how Um, many integrals do we need to take to get uh, just one. Okay. Um, so let's take this to the to the physical realm. Okay. Uh, I am going to. Hmm. Let's say that I am going to prepare for you a drink. Let's say. Okay. Um, you, you have, you, maybe you've requested a drink, uh, and I, I decided to prepare you a drink, um, an ingredient of which is something that I know some people to be allergic to. Okay. And for whatever reason, the thought crosses my mind, you might be allergic to this, but I give it to you anyway without clarifying. Okay. Is there anything wrong with this? Nope. Not in my opinion. Why? I'm. Um, I mean, okay. Uh, excuse me. <laughs> like, sure. You're asking me to prove a negative. Here? <laughs> like, fair enough. But <laughs> I, I guess I guess that it, giving somebody a drink and not asking them if they're allergic to something, I don't see anything wrong with that. Because generally, we don't you go around asking everybody if they're allergic to anything we give them. We normally expect them to ask, "Does this have X in it?" Because I'm allergic. I guess I guess the the thing and, and you know and I could come up with more convoluted examples, but I guess the thing that I'm thinking here is it, the thought has crossed your mind. There is a reasonable chance that you're allergic to this, and I'm going to give it to you anyway, without asking. I think for for whatever justification I want to come up with, I w- I'd like to surprise you. You've never had this before, right? Okay, here's where I'm at now. There is an even deeper layer that I've kind of just discovered we're on. And that is the morality and ethics of risk-taking. Because that's where we're at. I think 
if you here's here's the other situation plays out because there's only two situ, two options essentially here either you drink it and it's completely harmless or you drink it and something bad happens right who's responsible if i'm hurt because <laughs> you can make the same assumptions on me like i know say i if you're allergic to something you, you, you and you're an adult you probably know it i know i'm allergic to peanuts we'll say and you sure and um you hand me a drink and i you have not told me what's in it you just said you made me a drink and i know i the now too soon to be victim i suppose know that there's a chance that i'm allergic to something in this and it crosses my mind to ask you what's in it but i say screw it i'm just gonna drink it anyway i make an assumption and take a risk we both made assumptions and took risks here and i drink it and i end up in the hospital because i'm it had peanuts in it are you at fault for that? Am I at fault for that? Does it matter that both of us had the premonition to go, you know, maybe we should confirm this and both said, screw it and took the risk anyway? I don't think it matters. Honestly, I, I think we need to examine, in this case, I would say that it's on me for drinking it. And that's, in the case of me drinking it, it's irrelevant whether or not I thought about it first. I took the risk either way. Whether you know you're taking the risk or you don't, it's irrelevant. Right. Because even if I told you there's no peanuts in it, you still took a risk by trusting me. Exactly. So when it comes to the morality of taking a risk, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with taking a risk at all. As long as you're aware that you are going to shoulder the outcome of that risk. I think the only thing wrong is if you try to scapegoat the risk. I see. So if I give you a, a peanut smoothie. Yep. We'll say. And you drink it and become severely ill. It is my responsibility to give some form, some form of restitution for having done that no no because you didn't force me into anything you didn't deceive me into anything there's a clear difference between this and the other examples the other examples being it, it would be the other examples are more akin to hey here is this smoothie drink it or else and then not telling me what's in it then you made me drink it then yep gun to my head <laughs> Drink the smoothie, you know. <laughs> then you accept you accept the restitution, you know. But you didn't coerce me to do it. You just gave it to me, and I trusted you. And I willingly partook of it without asking. The, the so it's whoever took the final risk? No. In this case, there is a chain of events that are happening, and the only time in which in, the only time in which something bad happens, the only person in control was the person drinking the smoothie. I had full control over what was going on in that situation and I made a choice and I have to pay for that choice because you could, you could remove you entirely. Say I come across a drink and I don't know what it is and I choose to drink it anyway. There's no one else. You don't know who made the drink. None of that. I'm you, I can't justify so many more layers to that though. Sure. And because we can now you're arguably stealing somebody's drink too. So let's just, okay. It's a piece of fruit. I see it growing on a tree. Okay. I don't know who planted the tree. I don't know who owns his land. 
I eat it and I'm allergic to it and I have to go to the hospital or God forbid die. Let's just say I go to the hospital because I'm going to try to seek restitution. Sure. Is it right for me to try to seek restitution to see who owns that tree? No. Why not? They were the ones who planted it there. They didn't tell me that I was allergic to that tree well, or warn this, me. This takes away the other uh, uh, premise that I had in my original scenario, which is that the person who planted the tree believed that there was a reasonable chance that somebody would eat the fruit and have an allergic reaction to it. Yes. But if someone just, like, in this scenario, how long has the tree even been there? Like, the person who planted it might be dead. Okay. I, I you know, it's not the same scenario. Um, It kind of is. You can bring to bear restitution against dead people. Because uh, when they died, they didn't just I, well, cease okay. owning that tree. It, it transferred ownership we to someone else. We don't know whether the person who planted that tree... Felt like there was a reasonable. Uh, I, I give that, that person feel like they were taking a risk. I, I get what you're getting at. Yes. To me, it didn't matter how you feel about it. You took a risk either way. We take risks every single day. Risks are morally neutral, in my opinion. They they do not matter. Because in all the other examples, they're tainted by either coercion, or you know, people trying to compel other people, which is essentially the same thing. You know. So it, risks yeah. are morally neutral, but yes. everyone is responsible for the consequences of whatever risk that they take. Exactly. That's okay. what I think. And so the asking permission versus asking forgiveness question, they it's both... Just, it's just risk-taking. It's risk. It's a risk, cost-benefit, risk analysis. Yep. Do I... And it is gaming. You are social gaming, and you can have the conversation about how... And there's another context layer, too. Say in the asking permission versus asking forgiveness, I am going to and potentially incur risk on other people. You know, is it like, is it morally correct or ethically good to warn other people when you're going to do something that might potentially harm them in a reasonable way? Most of the time, people would tend to say yes, because then you enable other people to make the choice of running away or getting out of the danger zone. Um, but even then that's more for you. You know, I am decreasing risk by asking permission. Um, so would the, I guess the next question would be is by, is decreasing risk, is that more ethically good? Cause I think plenty of people would say that it is being prepared, David, by being prepared, what that really means is I'm going to decrease the amount of risk. I'm going to find myself in a d truly dangerous situation. By being aware of my surroundings, I'm going to lower my risk of, you know, negligently walking into a bad situation. We would say that's good. You know, decreasing the risk. And is then, it morally good, though? It, it depends on your morality on self-harm. You know, like, if you think that it is morally bad that you harm yourself, even on accident, granted, it kind of doesn't matter because it's not like you owe it to anyone other than yourself. But if you hold that taking care of yourself and being self-reliant is a moral good, then I think... You also need to accept that minimizing risk for yourself is also a moral good. I don't know whether either of those things are positively moral positives or negatives, but I think they're linked together at least. 
I can't imagine a scenario in which they are separate, where the answers to one would not be the answer to the other. You know? When it comes to risk of yourself only. You know? I, I think I could come up with some convoluted scenarios. Possibly. That, like, you know, weird philosophies where that might be the case. Right. You know, may- maybe you hold it as a principle to always live in the moment and not prepare for the future. <laughs> we can argue over whether that's a smart decision, but that's irrelevant to whether it can be a principle. Okay. I think it could be somebody's principle. Whether it's a good one or not is irrelevant. Okay, well, let's go there then. Let's just not maybe that exact, but let's just kind of address it on the metaphysical level. Is there an objective good or bad to how you live your life in this case? Like, if you know could you assert one is better than the other could we begin having granted it would be a long discussion but could and it goes on all the time hedonistic versus everything else you know (laughs) pretty much that's not hedonism that's a moral debate that's been going on forever is there a right and wrong answer is there an objectively right answer to that question or is it all subjective It depends, mm, because it, it always de- depends. Does it, though? Um, yes, because you can only have an objective system of morality if values are agreed upon. Like, like what... Uh, maybe values is not the word that I wanted. Um, standards. Like, you have, to, you have to have something to measure against that is objective. Okay. So, so if you don't, then it's subjective. Okay. And if you do, there's your objective system, and we can measure whether it's moral or not to be hedonistic. Sure. I mean... Okay. Mm. Never mind. I was going to say, I think almost any system of morals and ethics would say that life is valuable and positive, and that's a standard by which we can judge. The problem is most hedonists don't ar- will agree but then they change the definition of life to quality of life as well, which is a fair point, you know. You can live for a long time strapped to machines and restricting your freedom of movement, but you're going to lose all freedom, so is it worth it? You know, and as most hedonists make that argument of, I am living at a good long life of experiences, even if on a calendar it's only 30 years, I lived 90 years of life in 30 years, even though... We all kind of know what that means, quality over quantity in that case. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, though, it's still subjective because, in that case, because who gets to say you had a good life? Who gets to judge the quality of your life and it hold any stock other than yourself? Because you're the one who's responsible for that life. So even if I tell you that you had a bad life and you disagree with me, meh, meh, you know, like who cares what you think? It's my life. You know, I chose this. I chose that. If only there were a Billy Joel song about this. You talking about moving out? (laughs) No. Oh. My life. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I was reading into the message of Anthony's song. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I think... Now, there's also the question to be had about 
oh, there's there's this whole thing where you can have your ethics and your morality and what you think is good and what you think is bad and then there's this pesky thing called society that all of that kind of caves back to in a practical sense you know ooh ooh, a society (laughs) but um i don't know i think i think uh if you were able to come up with an objective standard by which to judge the quality of life or to judge life and come up with objective standards by which you can test morality, then that that's people certainly have tried, but I don't know that there is one that is clear like in nature, you know, like we, we can, we can say whichever one leads to more propagating and success of the species, you know, boom, the point of life is to propagate and make more of a similar life. From the, you know, genetic standpoint, but, and that's objective, but Mm, mm, I don't know. Okay. That tendency is objective. I don't know if that purpose is objective. I don't think any purpose is objective. Sure. No, no, no. I I understand. But we, we give purpose to everything being human beings. And that's subjective. That is subjective. But no matter what purpose you object, you subjectively give to something, there will be an objective mark in the population count an objective mark in your end of the beginning of life. You know I mean? These are things that I don't care if you feel like you're 105 years old, sorry, the earth's only rotated this many times. That's objective. Doesn't matter what you think about that. That's what it is. You know? Sure. I just, I'm not seeing the relevance here. What I was saying is that essentially is we could try to apply biological standards to morals and ethics, but things get pretty weird pretty quick. Like I'm saying, standards exist. It's just whether or not we want to try to apply them. I mean, we could even, you know, you can make 50 hop skips and jumps to say, you know, the temperature of the sun is how we, we, we mark the quality of our morals. <laughs> right. Like, like, why though? It's like, <laughs> it's arbitrary. Yeah. It's arbitrary. Cause it so always, is everything. Yeah. But I do think, in chasing truth and looking at what we think, you know, like uh, my subjective take on it would be that you taking risks for yourself is ultimately up to you. Now I only really have a problem. Like the standard I would hold myself to is minimizing risk. I mean, to be honest, it's minimize risk everywhere in which I think it's worth minimizing the risk. There's another subjective concept, worth. For example, you know, I vape and I smoked. I, I, I acknowledge and I'm aware of the risks and then choose to do it anyway because of a benefit that some may not see as a benefit, but I think is a benefit. But who's to say? It, ultimately, I think any of it's fine. Like, you, you go ahead. If you want to justify that for yourself, and that's why, and that's your principles for doing so, and you take risks all the time because you think that gives you a better quality of life, fine, do it. I don't think, I think I only have a problem when either someone tells you not to, and then they have no right to, it's when someone else comes in and tries to dictate it, or when you try to offload the responsibility of your choices on someone else. Anytime you bring another person into it, that's when I have a problem. And you're both not willing participants. 
that's pretty much it. Like the NAP to a T, that's my problem with it. That's the only time I'll have a problem is when you bring someone unwillingly into it and your risks affect them in a direct way or they intervene on you. Like that's the only time I have a problem with it. Besides that, it's all morally gray to me. Take as big a risk if you want. You know, people play the lottery all the time. That's a terrible risk to take. But mm. Mm, no, don't don't hmm that. No, well, I, the the thing that I'm humming, in my opinion, well, the, the thing the thing that I'm that I'm humming is it. Okay, if I if I spend a dollar on a lottery ticket, and I lose. I didn't take a big risk. It was a dollar. Sure. But there are better ways to risk a dollar. Objectively. You could invest that dollar in a stock. In a stock market that has a much higher rate of return. Than uh, the lottery. That's objective. I agree. I'm not saying it's wrong that you did it. I'm just saying one would be an objectively lower right. I guess I guess just the phrasing you used that it was a big risk, and I was, well, it doesn't have to be a, a big risk in the sense that you don't have to risk a lot to play the lottery. Sure, and big is also relative while we're at it, because it may be a big risk if you only have ten dollars to your name. Right. So, <laughs> it depends on what I mean when I say big, you know, and it's all contextual. But I, I, I mean, I don't know really where else you can go with that. I really don't. I, I sure people will have their opinions. I think you can. There's something to be said about a person acting against their proposed principles, but that's just again dishonesty. Because you can say your principles are whatever they are, but they are actually how you behave. I'll take that stance. Sure, okay. Yeah, my principle is to minimize risk as much as possible. And then I witness this person deliberately. And they give me specific examples of like health and longevity. Those are the standards by which they measure all these things, right? And then I watch this person make unhealthy eating habits, you know, unhealthy eating choices and smoke cigarettes and do drugs and like do all these things that objectively will give you a lower risk of a long life i disagree okay here we go finally we found it this uh, we this may resolve very quickly actually um that's what you think suppose i hold it as a principle that it is wrong to take somebody else's property without permission okay okay Suppose also I find myself in a very unfortunate scenario in which I'm going to die if I don't steal your sandwich. I don't even have the energy to walk to the next person to steal their sandwich. It has to be yours. Okay. I don't want to die. Okay. So I steal your sandwich. Okay. Therefore, this is a scenario in which... I have stolen your sandwich while simultaneously believing it to be wrong to do so. I have violated my own principles by doing so. Yep. But have you? Which is a higher ranking principle? Your life or not stealing? Because they're not equal. I would assert that you cannot have an equal set of principles. They have to be ordered in a priority or else... And they are ordered in a priority, whether you like it or not. 
that's a whole other topic. I think that I think you can still hold it as a principle that it is never okay to steal somebody else's property and still do it out of desperation. You can say you hold that as a principle, but I think anybody who tells you that their first principle isn't the preservation of their own life is a liar. 99.999% of the time, that's the truth. I guess I guess the thing that I'm invoking here is that it is like the the unconscious mind overriding the conscious mind. Where the conscious mind says, no, this is wrong, I shouldn't do this. And the unconscious mind says, nope, we're doing this. It's still wrong. Just because your unconscious mind does something doesn't make it morally I, not, neutral. I, I agree. That's not the case that I'm making. The case that I'm making is that someone can behave in a way that does not correspond to their principles. Then it's not your principles. It's your stated principles. I think ultimately... And, and this goes all the way back to our discussion about free will, honestly. It really does. But by definition, a principle is something you hold to the utmost. It is the core of your belief system, and it is essentially your moral code. Yes, belief systems work consciously. Yes. That doesn't excuse the behaviors of the unconscious. And no, I, I didn't say that it excused I, it. I know you're... I, know the you, thing that you're, I think we're losing track of the thing that I'm disputing. Okay. The thing that you said, which I'm disputing, is that principles equals behavior. Yes. I disagree. Okay. I think that someone is capable of violating... I think I think a person is capable of violating one's own principles. I, I mean, yes, obviously, because you do that. But principles... That, that equal, principles directly contradicts the claim that principles okay. equals behavior. Principles equals aggregated behavior. Your principles cannot be known until you die, in my opinion. Like, you can guess at someone's principles, but until they've died, you can't rank their principles because you don't know the decisions and choices they're going to make. I guess I should have been more clear in saying that, but I do think that your principles equals behavior because, other, because honestly, if you take it back to what we really think about free will, you don't have it. It doesn't matter. Sure. And so whatever you say your principles are doesn't matter. Because you're going to behave how you're going to behave, regardless of what you say. And so, at the end of it all, when you can no longer make decisions, then if we knew who you were, and we were able to capture almost every output that you gave and every behavior that you took, regardless of why, we could establish a ranking of principles that you may have stated and seen where they come out. You know, if you subconsciously decided to steal my sandwich well then you place the value of your life above your willingness to steal and i can do that and then in that can be objectively measured i think that's the only way you can objectively measure someone's principles because you can tell me what your principles are and you can consciously adopt principles but i think realistically that doesn't mean that doesn't hold any weight realistically and on an individual I don't, I don't, level i don't really care whether it holds weight i'm just disputing a claim about terminology and what it means okay i mean i think we just uh, the reason i hold that position is because of what i, I can i can agree produce. that if someone if someone asserts that they hold a principle which they then proceed to violate that them holding that principle in that moment was meaningless right but they nonetheless held the principle until That's they until they didn't because how can you uphold a principle if you violate it? Is it really a principle if it's violated by definition? Sorry, I didn't mean uphold. 
hold. Okay. Hold the position. They but, believe the thing and act so willing inc- incongruently with their position. So essentially willingly do wrong. Yes. But that's not what you said. You said it was subconscious. That's unwilling. You're unwilling think, and unable okay. to stop yourself because you want to eat. Like that's the example you were given. You had given. So I don't see how that fits the original example. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Um, now, if you want to talk about knowingly do something that you are convicted of is wrong, like I'm gonna say, I'm holding to, like your convictions, like you, sure, you you feel and know that it's wrong against your principles, and then you decide to do it anyway, consciously. If it's yes. all conscious, uh-huh. that's possible. But it weakens the integrity of the principle. But you can still say that's what you want, but you're just being dishonest. And in in a singular sense of just ha- being an individual, okay, by your own moral code, you've done something morally wrong. Okay, like, fine. But you get to set the code of what's right and what's wrong. That's why some people adopt the code of anything I do is right because I wanted to do it. At least that's honest, but it still has its other problems. But what we're talking about is when we're comparing two people. Even if it's two people interacting, there's a, you know, when another person's brought into the room, we trust you when you tell us what your principles are because we would hope that you had them and we have them or we feel like we have principles. And so we all tend to trust each other because if we didn't, we wouldn't get anywhere. Like, I mean, there's, there's a certain, we all had to take that risk in order to function in some level of what we all consider to be success, right? Are you with me so far? Yeah. So, violations, knowing violations of your principles against another person, we can hold you responsible for that. Yes. And it's still a principle in that terminology. Like, it's still a stated principle that you have, but the integrity of that principle, because now you're dealing with other people, I can apply a principle to you that you can fail to live up to, it's meaningless, but it also affects I guess, my I guess choices. Here, here's 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 the reason why I take issue. Why I even find it worthwhile to take issue with that is that if somebody if if somebody's behavior always lines up with their principles, or and vice versa, explain guilt. Why does guilt exist if we always behave according to our own principles? Oh, you don't. Like, I think it's, I think contradiction, uh, guilt is a result of contradiction, I think. Yes. And I'm saying, okay, I think there are two definitions of principles we're holding on here. Maybe. Um, I, I, because to me, it, principles are objective. Hear me out. Well, okay. okay. It, hear me out. And I know they're not because we had just got done discussing how principles are also subjective. Well, they're not. Uh, well, principles insofar as they are opinions are subjective but it can be objective whether somebody holds a principle exactly i think it, that's it, w- like whether that, somebody believes a thing is an objective thing right and and i think that's where we're at is you can claim to believe it but if i think this goes back to our discussions on belief do beliefs modify behavior Is that what makes beliefs different from thoughts? Like, I think, well, yeah, we're going way back. Um, Because the the only 
good reason to hold a belief is to modify a behavior and a belief which does not alter behavior is meaningless right and so how do you know if it modifies behavior or not if it does okay yeah i mean if it you did know, you well mean. right sure because you, you you won't there is no does necessarily well actually there's only does but there's only does to you but <laughs> to the other person there's only did i don't know what you are doing i will only ever see what you did even by nature of the fact that i will observe it milliseconds later thanks to the travel time of the speed of light whatever that's a hair splitting brain and it, sure yeah, that's all sure. hair splitting but i'm i don't know what it is that you did until i witness it and sure. so we can't gauge whether you actually held that as a belief until we can objectively mark how it modified your life but even then you don't know what otherwise is you know what i'm saying like well okay i still i still think that we i think you still diverged a little bit perhaps okay let's bring this into a into a a real scenario okay so you presumably believe that um one should not hmm i'm, I'm just trying to i'm trying to choose specifics and I, I should just get on with it um one should not for sake of their own safety um short a circuit while holding the thing that is shorting the circuit is a bad idea unless unless i'm saying if it's my principle it's unless my life is otherwise threatened like because that to me it would be a higher ranking principle well that's not where i'm going okay but 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 still like i think it's important that to acknowledge that i think we're talking in two different terms of systems here because to me i think you have to apply a system these principles have to be applied hierarchically sure so but but sure okay just making sure we are on the same page with that. Okay. So never now re- you find yourself working on a car. Okay. With a wrench near the battery. Okay. And you short the terminals. On purpose? No. Okay. But you were aware of the risk of the battery and Correct. that you should have steered clear of shorting it. Sure. But you short the terminals and burn yourself. Okay. It's morally so bad. So you believed a thing. You believed something and then failed to act in accordance with your beliefs. The belief apparently did not alter your behavior. Because you did the thing anyway and still burned yourself. Well, see, that's where I was getting to is how do you know it altered my behavior? What What would I have done if I didn't hold that belief? You might have done the same thing. Might. Yeah, I might have done the same thing. Or maybe, I, you know, I think this well, is... Uh, well, and really, in a case of personal safety like this, you might have killed yourself before even getting the chance to do that if you didn't hold that belief. But, right, it's it's one of those things where it's, I think even that's, maybe I was wrong in saying that you could uphold that as an objective, but because you don't know what someone would have done otherwise, you can only look at what happened, you know? Right. So, I think, because, for example, there could be someone that never mentioned holding as principle or a belief you shouldn't short terminals and they never shorted a terminal in their life can you say they held the belief that you shouldn't short terminals <laughs> probably not you know? no. <laughs> because maybe they never knew what that was or maybe they never had a chance because you could even know what it is but never have had the opportunity right 
I, I, this is all just extremely pedantic, but I'm like that. Sure. About so the show about is. can can someone you know can someone hold a belief even if it does not modify their behavior? I think yes. I think it is possible to hold a belief even if the behavior is not what one would call appropriately modified. People, in this instance, make mistakes. I mean, yeah. And and if they only were consciously aware of their own beliefs, would not have made that mistake. Fair enough. However, does... Well, I'm going to tie it all the way back to the original reason we started this. Because asking permission versus asking forgiveness is in the context of a choice. A conscious choice. Yes. So let's I'll, let's say for the sake of argument I grant you the unconscious happenings. Yes. Cuz they're not really choices at that point. Right. Um unconscious actions. So let's just keep it in the realm of conscious actions for now. Or well even Cuz the thing the thing well, that you did the conscious- thing that you did to short the battery terminals you might have intended to do that thing while failing to realize that this would short the terminals and burn you. Okay, full realizations now, then. Yes. I'll keep moving the goalpost <laughs> till I get to a point where I feel like we're on the same page. Because yes. you could also make the argument that, A, you don't have choices, so it's all irrelevant. Um, you're just going to do whatever you're going to do because based on inputs, you know. <laughs> what is conscious? What is sub, what is unconscious? How much control do you really have over your conscious air quotes decisions? Sure, you know, but that's all kind of a cop outy answer. Yes, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but let's say I see the battery terminals, and I've stated to you that I hold the beliefs that I shouldn't short circuit, and I look at you and I say, "Hey, David, want to see some pretty sparks?" And I go, "Snap, snap, snap!" And I slam the wrench down on top right. of it. And I short the terminal anyway, even though I'm wearing gloves. It doesn't matter that it, there's no con- there's no modifier of you shouldn't short term. Well, actually, you did. You said for your sake of your own health. I see it's only an 18 volt battery. I know it's pretty low. It might zap me, but it's fine. Whatever. It's gonna make for a pretty spark, and David's gonna like it. It's gonna be funny. So I do it anyway. Yes. That was a full conscious choice, mm-hmm. right? Can I still hold in that case the belief that you should never short terminals? Or how does that fit in your whole analogy? Or not analogy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, and this might be a breakdown of phrasing because really the belief in this case that I was going for of you should never short terminals. It is it is unsafe to short terminals. It is because yeah. I it, and it is I'm taking a risk. This yes. battery could have been charged or whatever, or it could even this small zap I could experience could potentially stop my heart, even though it's unlikely. It's possible. But I look at that. Or start I, a fire or and, yeah, and thereby well, cause an explosion or sure, whatever. Yeah. Whatever. But I look at all that. I know all that. Say I've been a mechanic for 30 years. I'm, I'm fully aware of all the circumstances. And I still decide to do it for a laugh. Consciously. Yep. I, I look at those and I'm like, this would be funny. And I do it anyway. Can I actually say that I hold as a belief that you should never short terminals for the sake of my safety and others? Like, you know. Yes. I think because you're just acknowledging that you are making a bad decision. So I, I am I am choosing now to do something stupid. That basically. So beliefs in this case 
I guess it's not whether or not it modifies act. I guess it has the, nothing to the, do with the only reason. The only behavior. reason whether the, like the, the, the thing that has to do with modifying behavior is whether it, for for me the the reason why I raised that in the original uh, episode on on beliefs. What that was to answer the question: When should we even consider like contemplate a question? And the answer is: Will the answer to this question alter my behavior in any way? No, then I don't care. Hmm. But under this context, is you don't know. Well, you do you I take, never know, right? But do I take the risk of it yes. not modifying my but, behavior? But then now we're just at everything is cost benefit. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Because like, that's what we're talking about <laughs> yes. today, I guess. Um, I do think I think what I was going at is so belief systems have nothing to do with whether or not it modifies your choices directly. It's how you see the moral or ethical positive or negative of your decisions and because of that it as a secondary effect will tend to modify your behavior yes so philosophers that's it no it's <laughs> <laughs> a long episode but but so, I, I guess that's where we're at god that's a there's too many factors now <laughs> why did we decide that why did we just why did we talk about free will first like that complicates everything <laughs> free will doesn't exist so can you even take a risk no <laughs> yes uh, well i think I, it, it all just depends on the frame of mind really because <sighs> what does that mean because I, I think people can uh, even in absence of free will i think people still make choices it just depends on the definition of choice mm. there, there is processing occurring which determines the next behavior to happen but it is but the the nature of how that decision is made is predetermined it's like that there's there's processing happening but it was it in principle could be known beforehand what the outcome would be semantics like it's, yeah what 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 is a choice you know next i make week. i make conscious decisions i just have no control over what the decision is that i make right next week on philosopher what is a choice? <laughs> doing it all over again. You could easily get into a loop on these. Yes. But that's kind of the point, though. Sometimes you have to jump through the loop a few times before you, you know. Actually get it. Get it right. And, you know. yep. But well, I think that's where we're at. So, so just to recap, for those who skip to the very end to figure out. <laughs> too bad. Be- too bad. <laughs> so beliefs don't directly affect your behaviors. It does affect how you assign a moral value to your behaviors and thus indirectly affects your behaviors. Yes. That's kind of where we're at for now. Well, it doesn't have to be moral either. Personal right and wrong. Or you, you, your beliefs can alter your morally neutral decisions too. That's I didn't say positive negative. I just said moral value. Zero is a value. I would argue. So, I mean, I guess I don't, my, I, I don't think I don't think morality has to be a part of it. It doesn't, but you could as- try to ascribe a moral value, but if if say I rank moral decisions where zero is neutral and then positive is good and negative uh-huh. is bad, everything can fall on the scale of a moral act, sure, even if it's zero Here it's we go like, again. Yeah. There you go. So, can decide okay, so to modify it it would be it, your beliefs modify first whether or not an, a behavior has a moral value and then second whether it's a good or positive or negative moral value 
and thus affects your behaviors. Yes. And so next week we're going to talk about can anything be truly morally neutral to an individual? <laughs> can a, can an individual's behaviors be truly morally neutral? So <laughs> I, I would like to comment and say that I don't. Has there been a single time in which we said so? Next week we're going to talk about and, and then we actually, actually did. did? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Does that go against our principles, Joe? What are you talking about? I, I didn't agree to that anywhere. <laughs> There's no written document. We're being dishonest. Ari, though, what is I? I believe the definition of honesty. Is, oh God, because now you can believe definitions. So we should make a religion out of this. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> oh, we don't. All right, I think at this point we're pretty shot. So yes. All right, philosophers. Philosophers. <laughs>